Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. It is the APC podcast from acmepackingcompany.com. Green Bay Packers talk from SB Nation. It is NFL Combine Week, and uh, really excited to get down to business this week. I am Zach Rapport, um, dialing it in from Albuquerque, New Mexico, just a solitary man in a pink tie-dye sweater with a dog sitting next to him. And I am joined, boots on the ground, reporting live-ish, whenever you listen to this, from the NFL Combine. It is our fearless leader, Evan Tex Western. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm I'm a little tired. It was a long day today, but it was a good day. Um, a lot of good stuff. Uh, we heard from a couple of the the big members of this organization today, and uh, there's some interesting stuff that came out of that. Yeah, and we were talking a little bit before we got started. We're both kind of desk jockeys, so you're on your feet all day. Tough gig, tough tough life out there. <laughs> talking to Matt Lafleur. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, holding up the 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 phone gimbal with the the phone to stream the whole thing the whole time. My arm and shoulder are a little sore. Yeah, it's it's a rough life. First world problems. <laughs> well, yeah. um, I do want to hit on uh, everything that that we can glean from today's combine action, uh, as well as sort of get your um, kind of pick your brain about what you're looking for going forward for the rest of the week. Before we do that, I thought we should just hit on a few uh, news headline items and I'll uh, I'll hit the breaking news sounder just just to kind of get us in that sort of newsy mood, even though none of this is really breaking, but well, maybe it's a little breaking. We'll start with uh, Mason Crosby as our first order of business. The Packers rewarding Mason Crosby's career year last year with a three-year deal worth uh, $12.9 million. That's an average of $4.3 million per year. Uh, Tex, there has been a small, but I'll call it vocal, move on from Mason contingent the last few years. But I feel okay about this deal. What about you? Yeah, it seems perfectly reasonable to me. Um, It's almost exactly the same dollar amount per year as he got on his last deal four years ago. Um, and considering the fact that the cap continues to increase, the the value relative to the salary cap is therefore less than uh, what it was when he signed that deal. So, um, yeah, basically you're you're signing him for less of a financial impact than his previous contract. Um, you know, he he shows you know signs of only getting better at this point um, after after having a great year this past year. So, um, no, I think it's I think it's a good move that we've seen what happens in Chicago when, you know, when a team goes in and and doesn't have any sort of continuity or answers at kicker. Um, and and wait, what happened in Chicago? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, doink or two, but, um, (laughs) 
No, but we've, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nice to have that position solidified. And, you know, it's a guy who has done it in Green Bay for years. Um, he has dealt with the, the weird weather conditions that, that tend to pop up in the second half of the season well. And because of that, I mean, I, I don't see any reason to um, really be upset by um, the amount or the fact that they extended him either, either way. And we get the uh, the added benefit of they don't split up the father son duo of uh, Mason Crosby and J.K. <laughs> Scott can't take his daddy away. <laughs> so he's locked in for three more years. Moving on, the next news item, and maybe this is a little bit of breaking news. I don't know. Uh, the Packers reportedly tried to trade for uh, Falcons tight end Austin Hooper at the trade deadline during the 2019 season. I saw. Uh, Jason Wilde on Twitter referring to a report I think uh, we also saw in in our in our Slack chat, uh, Peter Bukowski saying that um, maybe Rob Domofsky made a passing mention of this during the season. Austin Hooper is now a, a free agent, certainly a guy I'm interested in signing. Tex, did I miss this coming out in the regular season or is this news to you too? No, the specifics of this um, kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. Um, certainly, Gudikinst had said at the end of the regular season that he had tried to make some moves at the at the trade deadline, um, and that he was looking for an an explosive offensive player, you know, whatever that means. Um, and, and certainly, Hooper seems like you know that that would be a logical target, um, given that the the Packers had some injury issues at the tight end position with with Robert Tanyan dealing with that hip issue. Uh, Jay Sternberger obviously being on IR for for the first half of the season, so it, it certainly makes sense um, that they would try to make a run. Um, again, Gudikins had said after the season that he just didn't feel like the value was there, so I can understand you know not not giving away a bunch of draft picks for a you know an eight week rental. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go in free agency because it sounds like um, Atlanta's not going to franchise tag him. He's going to end up hitting the market and, and doesn't sound like Atlanta's really going to um, try to lock him up before then. So he, he should hit the market. Um, you could certainly argue that the Packers would be wiser to spend you know $10 million of free agent money on a player like Hooper than you know this a similar... Uh, contract going to a wide receiver, you're probably going to get a better quality tight end relative to the position than you would at, at wideout. So that, that's certainly a position to keep an eye on, um, especially if Jimmy Graham ends up getting released, as we all kind of expect that he will. Hope, um, hope that he will. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that, Jimmy. That Sorry. Too. I don't know. I, I try not to talk like that, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> But <laughs> uh, well, Gutekunst may not have seen value in that. But speaking as someone who, you know, as a fan, watch the Packers get clobbered in the NFC championship game. Uh, that seems like there could have been some value there. I don't know. I know that they got clobbered, but um, that was one of those moments where I feel like if they just had one more worthwhile piece on offense, that just changes the whole dynamic of the way the defense plays you. It just, it could have been that extra push. And I just, ah, what could have been? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on. One last news item before we get into combine a palooza. Uh, the collective bargaining agreement. This is something that we have not really touched on um, yet on the podcast. Um, the the collective bargaining agreement that the, the players union has with the league, with the owners, um, to sort of set the terms of the labor. That is uh, set to expire between these two seasons. The owners have approved a new CBA, um, I presume, with, uh, with some player input, but that was now sent to the players union for review and possible... 
approval. Uh, Tex, can you can you fill us in sort of what are some of the key changes here in in this new CBA, and is there anything that might be kind of holding it up, or any reason why the the, the players might might not like what they see? Yeah, the the big crux of it kind of boils down to the fact that the owners want to move to a 17 game regular season. Um, they want to get rid of a preseason game, um, add a regular season game. Um, we'll see if that would add maybe a second bye week in there too. That's been been discussed. But um, obviously that's a, a sticky proposition for the players because you know if the players are going to be playing an extra meaningful game, um, they're going to want to get paid accordingly. Um, so the the idea there is that for for if they do go ahead with this, the um, the players would get the same um, amount on a game check for their base salary that they would for that 17th game uh, as as it would be for the rest of their their contract. Uh, unless their base salary is over $4 million, in which case that would be capped out at $250,000. Um, as you can imagine, the the highly paid players are, are not particularly excited about that idea. That's money on the table. Um, exactly. And and you've got um, you've got some some high profile players. David Bakhtiari was was talking about it. J.J. Watt has been talking about it on social media that they are not big fans of this. And I think one of the biggest sticking points beyond just that is the fact that um, the, the proposal is to increase the share of revenue that goes to the players uh, instead of the owners from 47% to either 48 or 48.5%, depending on if it's 16 or 17 games. And it, it really begs the question, why are the players, the, the people who are providing the product um, that, that you know, we all tune in for, um, why are they still getting paid less than half of the money when, you know, 51, 52% of this is, is still going to the owners? Um, that's going to be certainly this, the biggest sticking point, I think, for the Players Association. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, there was, there was some talk that they might start voting on it this weekend. Certainly, did, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and I would, be, I would be surprised if they end up um, approving this and, and ratifying it in short order. The, the nice thing, I guess, is that the the current CBA doesn't expire until next off season. So oh, okay. we're not in. Yeah, we're not in in danger of a work stoppage this year. Consider me um, ignorant. Sorry for misleading anybody. <laughs> no, but um, but that also means that that's you know that's another twelve months of time to negotiate. And certainly the 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 fact that the the league is so gung ho about this this proposal um, almost should tell you something that that maybe the the players shouldn't go ahead and bite and, and accept this right away. And um, that, that, that maybe they should go back to the negotiating table and try to um, try to work on a, a little bit more beneficial deal for them. So I wouldn't be, I would be surprised if this does get done. Um, yeah. It's certainly, I don't think it'll get done before the draft. Um, maybe we'll get some more traction this summer, but um, if you were asking me to bet, I'd bet that it probably still doesn't get done until um, early next off season. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that. So I apologize to our listeners there. That makes total sense. Let me ask, maybe this is a stupid question, but 17 games, the, the owners have wanted this for a long time. Some fans want it. Some fans don't. Um, it's an odd number of games. So that's an uneven number of home and away games, right? How do they switch back and forth? Has there been talk about that? One of the proposals has been to make that 17th game always a neutral site game. Um, maybe it's a, um, a game in Mexico. Maybe it's a game in, in the UK, Europe or something. Um, that's kind of been the talk. So at least from a home and away setup, 
um, it might not end up um, making things unbalanced if, if everybody's still got eight home, eight away, and, and one neutral site game. What it does mess with is the schedule rotation. And the NFL, to, to in my opinion, has just a beautiful, elegant schedule setup right now with yeah. the, the eight divisions of four teams each. Um, you get your six division games, you get one full division in, in each conference, and then you get the other two divisions um, for the teams that finish in the same place as you in the same it conference. Feels it's, it's, it feels perfectly balanced. It does. And, and it's, it's clear. It's, it's obvious to, you know, project out um, what teams, you know, you're looking to, to end up having on the schedule the next couple of years. Um, and it, it's a nice consistent rotation. So, um, I would be very curious to see how they would address that part of it as much as the, you know, whether they do go with, with a, a neutral site game for that 17th game, or if they do make it a, a home or a, an away game. Yeah. So lots to come there. Um, and it sounds like, uh, we are not really any closer to finding answers there. We're going to be having these, uh, these debates all season long, whether it's a 17 game season, an extra team in the playoffs, only one by, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff. To oh, be, uh, hammered that's out. right. Yeah. I, I completely forgot to mention that too. The, the idea of, of adding a seventh playoff team to each conference yeah. and taking away a buy from the two seeds. Yeah. So yeah, that's another, um, that's another big thing that's, that's being floated out there as well. I, there's things I like about that idea and things I don't like about that idea. Yeah. The, um, and again, I'm talking about adding another, playoff team but i just feel like we're already at a point where you have every year anywhere from one to three teams we'll call it um that just you know they're just fodder for they just there's no reason for them to be there and it's just inevitably a 34 to 8 blowout and they're you know promptly summarily dismissed from the playoffs and why expand that but at the same time you know, I mentioned I see I see both sides. You know, wildcard teams have been sticking around the last couple of years. Um, it seems, well, I don't know. There's there's arguments on both sides, but um, what I don't like is the idea of just one team getting a buy. I don't know. I don't know why I don't like that. Maybe it's because the the Packers got a buy and they wouldn't have gotten a buy. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe I'm just taking it a little personally with a, a recency bias. Yeah, my my position on it is that the NFL has about the right ratio of playoff teams to not playoff teams. It's not diluted to the point of like the NBA or the NHL playoffs where too many teams get in. You've got a bunch of teams that are, you know, oftentimes at or below 500 that are that are sneaking in the playoffs. And um, it just makes for completely, um, like you said, big blowouts in, in the first round series and things. Um, the playoffs are still special in the NFL, but at the same time, it, there's enough teams. It's not like baseball where uh, I feel like too few teams end up getting into the postseason. So I feel like six in each conference is a great balance. Um, Twelve out of thirty-two. Um, you don't. I don't think you want to be sending almost half of your teams to the postseason every year, yeah. like you do in in basketball and hockey. Um, so it, it you have to do something pretty pretty impressive and pretty special to to get there, um, and then. Um, you know, it, it's and then I think you get you get the right cutoff with um, with having enough teams in there to to make it interesting and make it competitive. All right. I think we should uh, move on and really get to the heart of matters. And for no reason, I'm going to play some game show music. It's the NFL <laughs> Combine, the Underwear Olympics, as it's known to some three cone times measurements hand measurements arm length measurements tangibles waistbands, waistbands tangibles intangibles 
all that fun stuff. <laughs> Some of y'all really care about it. So, with that in mind, Tex, you are you are live and on the scene. You are reporting. Are you in Indy's uh, finest hotel here? What is? I see this uh, these nice green curtains you got going on here, luxuriating in this hotel room here. Where are you? Yeah, it's um, it's a. You know, a, a semi-decent chain hotel. We'll just leave it at that. It it gets the job done. Um, it gives me a bed to sleep on and a fridge to keep my uh, my snacks and and beverages cold. And fundamentally, that's that's probably what I need. But um, we're a La Quinta family. Do you have a go-to like cheap hotel chain? That's actually where I'm at. <laughs> I am at a La Quinta. I thought you, I recognized. You, you got the, me. <laughs> the stylish, good looks there. That decor. Anyway, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, yeah, the, the, this year, the the one big thing that's changed from previous years is the the schedule. Um, with with the league moving drills and workouts to prime time uh, Thursday through Sunday, um, that has pushed some of the interview schedules up earlier. So, whereas in previous years players would come out in the afternoon, now they're coming out pretty early in the morning. So we're um, media members are, are out there early uh for for the first round of players at about 8 a.m instead of you know early afternoon or so so it that that part of the schedule just kind of changes things up but it's going to be really interesting to see um how that affects the the workouts or if it affects the workouts at all um since that's not going to be going on during the day anymore i think that's honestly the biggest the biggest change that i've observed um from a, a media perspective um as far as the teams go the one other big change is that the number of formal interviews that each team gets has been dropped from 60 down to 45 uh, teams get a little bit more time so those interviews are are 18 minutes each instead of 15 but um the fact that you've got fewer formal interviews um, means that the, a, a handful of teams have actually brought fewer of members of their coaching staffs or uh, fewer members of their scouting staffs here um, to, to partially because of the fact that uh, they've got less time with, with the players themselves. Oh. So um, those are, those are just kind of some of the, the interesting little, little changes that have taken place this year. seems like every year the league is, is taking steps to a- expand in every possible way. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that in that way, they're kind of contracting a little bit. Do you have an opinion on that or do you understand why they're doing that? I- I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, Brian Goodikins mentioned it a little bit today that, um, but, but he didn't really seem to have a, a problem with it. Um, I think for, for so many of these teams, they meet with guys at senior bowls and, and these, these different all-star games, they meet with them at pro days. Um, you've still, still got the, the 30 official on-site visits at the team facilities during the draft process. So, you know, th- there's still plenty of opportunity for, for teams to bring in guys or, or talk to guys, um, in, in a formal or, or even in an informal setting. So I don't know that it makes a huge difference, um, from that perspective, um, I, I certainly don't, you know, I don't see it really affecting um, the scouting process in a, in a really significant way. I'm just not sure what the, the motivation was for it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. That was sort of the the big deal today on day one. Uh, they give their press conferences. Uh, you play a volleyball game last night. You get on an airplane, you wake up, you're in India and you're on your feet all day. And you were talking to Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst. So it's been a marathon day for you, but um, why don't we start with Lafleur's presser? 
uh, you're there, your shoulder is burning, your arm is burning as you're holding up your uh, <laughs> recording device and, and trying to get your questions in. First, just sort of your initial reactions, takeaways, what you thought might have been interesting uh, from Matt LaFleur's press availability today. Yeah, as far as LaFleur goes, it's clear how much he has improved his speaking from when he first <laughs> got hired. Um, yeah, I mean, you think back to that first press conference and he was clearly so nervous about about meeting in front of the media. Yeah. And um, he, he's clearly much more comfortable now. And, and that that comes through very clearly. Um, but I think one of the, the biggest things right off the bat that that came up was the fact that he said that there was no doubt in his mind that he wanted to keep Mike Pettin around um, after this this season. Um, which it almost seems a little um, a, a little at odds with the tea leaves that we were kind of reading um, right after the season yeah, where right? it kind of seemed like he was yeah he, he was talking about they were going to go through their evaluations and he didn't immediately give Petten a, a vote of confidence that you know saying that he wanted to keep him um, you know maybe that was just you know caught up in the heat of of the loss to the 49ers um, that, that he wasn't really in that space yet. I'm not sure, but, um, it definitely seemed interesting that he, that he was so adamantly, um, you know, saying that, that he never even really considered moving on from, from Petten after this year. Um, and even said that he's not going to re overreact, um, to, to one bad game. And, and that's kind of how he put it. Huh. Do you, do you believe him and you're willing to sort of set aside the tea leaves, or do you think maybe he was kind of making up for a little bit what felt like at the time very real chatter about real conversations they were having internally about whether or not he uh, would keep Mike Patton? Yeah, I think there's, I think that's it's probably 50 50 either way that that maybe he was just, you know, not ready to talk about it after the game and, and, um, and he just, you know, didn't think to, to really kind of, um, wasn't in the space to give him a vote of confidence yeah. and, and, you know, maybe it was a, you know, just a, all right, now I got to, I want to come out and, and be strong and, and in my defense of my coordinator, now that I've made the decision to keep him around. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think that he's a pretty honest guy. Yeah. Um, it seems that way. And so my, my feeling would be probably the former that, that maybe he just wasn't in the right space right away after the game to, um, to really say what, what he was thinking. Um, just because clearly that game was so frustrating for everybody involved. Yeah. Uh, I know the question that's burning uh, on everyone's mind. Uh, did we get an update on his ankle? How's that healing? Is he feeling okay? <laughs> What's the ankle update? <laughs> he he didn't specifically address it, but he looked fine moving around. And, um, you know, there was, there was no noticeable limp or little, you know, um, leg caddy or anything like that. Yeah. So he, he seems like he's fine. Although... I would uh, I would bet that he's probably not going to be playing as much basketball this offseason. Yeah, there were a number of ways in which he sort of referred to during his presser um, going from year one to year two. Um, so I I'm wondering what your takeaways were there. And I know that he mentioned it's really the first time since between the uh, 15 and 16 season that he has been in a position to sort of take the offseason to self-scout, look around the league. Uh, as well, there were questions about Rodgers going from year one to year two. He talked about Sternberger a bit. What were your overall impressions on his tone in talking about transitioning from that sort of year one scramble to year two where you've got more things are more settled and you've got sort of time and energy to really get in there and uh, and tinker and improve your team? Yeah, I think the 
the excitement that he's got is is pretty palpable. Um, I, I think he's genuinely excited to really get to dive into to that self scouting piece and and try to identify places to improve. Um, exactly because he he hasn't had a chance to really do that these last couple of years. Uh, one of the things that he mentioned in kind of the the little local media scrum after the fact, um, after his his formal presser was. Um, he continues to come back to this, this discussion of terminology and the communications in the offense. And that he, he mentioned that again, as part of the reason why they didn't really go up tempo uh, or no huddle at all this past season, um, because the, the communications weren't there and they weren't natural. So, um, really dialing that in, I think, um, is, he mentioned that as well as, um, in terms of just getting the play call in quicker and, and getting the guys to the line a little faster, um, that, that, that should help that as well. So, um, little, little tinkering with the mechanics of the offense, as far as how the, you know, again, how the play call is, is, is communicated in and, and communicated at the line. I think, um, that can only help. And then again, the, um, just that, that, that self-scouting. I mean, he mentioned specifically that, you know, that he's now got some time to, to look around the league and, and figure out what other teams are doing, what kind of concepts he can borrow from other other teams and other coaches that that he can work into the the context of of his offensive scheme. So it, it's exciting. Um, it certainly seems that that he's excited um, to really get to to do that deep dive into the offense um, and and really kind of help it evolve from from his first to his second year here. Yeah, and if if Packer fans are looking for something to be optimistic about and something to look forward to, you know, what you said about communication, etc. is interesting and really squares with, you know, what we heard at the end of the year about how much of the scheme supposedly wasn't actually even installed this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and now that you've got the 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 basics of it in, um and now you can really start to throw some of those interesting wrinkles in. And, and I think you're going to see, I, I really do think you're going to see a similar trajectory to how it worked in Atlanta in Shanahan's second year there, which was that, that 2016 season when Atlanta ended up going to the Super Bowl. Um, I, I, I feel confident that, that you're going to see a pretty significant change from, from year one to year two, because now um, he's going to have the ability to get all of the concepts on the table um, have, after having installed everything over the course of uh, the second offseason, um, building on the the basics that that they installed last year. Yeah, and the the Atlanta and Matt Ryan comparison, we, we've heard it a lot the last couple of weeks, but I, I do think it's interesting and in that there there is something there. You know, we as Packer fans often like to think of uh, Aaron Rodgers as sort of this wizard, and oh, it'll just become second nature to him you know, like that, but no, it takes time. And so I, I think what we heard from LaFleur is that he is excited about Rogers in year two, some of these concepts kind of becoming more natural. Um, and what I mean by that is that he has to think less and, and yep. hopefully those around him, uh, that'll be true as well. And, and things will just kind of click and we'll get some yeah. more of that, uh, mind meldy stuff that we used to get. Yep. Yeah. LaFleur used the word instinctive at least once or twice. Mm. Um, and that's, I think where he wants to get it to that, um, that this is second nature to, to Rogers and, and the veterans that, um, yeah, they can just go out and do, they don't have to think about what they're doing. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Brian Gutekunst, uh, giving his press conference. It is, uh, refreshing again, and never not refreshing to me to hear a <laughs> Brian Gutekunst pressure presser. I love uh, Ted Thompson will love Ted Thompson forever, and I, I grew to appreciate the way that he handled the media in terms of uh, 
thinking it was funny, basically. We were joking today on the Slack chat about um, the ways in which he would talk to the media when it came time for combine and draft, and and he really wouldn't say much more than we're looking for good football players, and there's always uh, <laughs> there's always room for a good football player on our team, et cetera. Those are some of my favorite Tedisms, but not so with Goot. He's a little bit more open, and that's... Uh, been refreshing. So you were there again, arm aching, holding up the recorder. What are your impressions uh, walking away from Brian Gutekunst today? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Packers do in free agency. Um, because especially at the linebacker position, I, I specifically asked him about you know, what what he thinks the team has in guys like Oren Burks. And, oh, you um, got a question in Curtis humble Bolton. brag. There you go. Yeah, um, you know, asking about Burks and Curtis Bolton, and um, it, he sounds still really confident in in Oren Burks being a player for this team. I heard um, that. So it's it's you know it, both of the last two years, it sounds like he really thinks that that injuries were a big part of the problem for him. Yeah. Um, well, they know, drafted this, him this injured season, though, right? Especially. <laughs> Um, didn't he have a shoulder injury? It seems when, that way. I don't know. No, I, I don't remember him having something specific, but it happened early on, I think in that first preseason game, uh, his, his rookie year, but yeah, it, it just seems like he, he still really feels like Burks is going to be yeah. a significant player for this team. Um, he also was raving about Ty Summers playing, playing linebacker. Um, Summers, I don't think ever made it on the field <laughs> on defense, um, in, in 2019, but um, I mean, he was certainly a big part of the special teams, and and Goody was saying that that he really liked that the way that Summers developed. Yeah. Um, you know, and and what I was kind of hoping to get was a little bit of an idea on um, how Curtis Bolton's recovery was coming along. Obviously, with the torn ACL, I mean, he we're hopeful that he'll be able to to be back by the time training camp starts. So so we'll see how that goes. But you know, one guy that they that he did not really you know step up and praise a whole lot was Blake Martinez, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he he kept using the phrase in flux yep. in terms of Blake's situation. Um, Whereas I feel like in the past there have been comments like, you know, we'd love to have it back. You know, we hope that that he can that, that we can retain him. I didn't there wasn't any of that with Martinez. And so I'm I would if I were betting, man, I would definitely not be betting on on Blake being back in, in green and gold next year. And part of that might just be understanding where the market is and that the Packers can't devote, you know, 10, 12 million dollars plus a year to a linebacker who has some significant limitations. Am I wrong? A couple um, weeks ago, did we see that the market value for Martinez was supposedly like $16 million or something? That was, yeah, that's on one of those Spotrack or, or one of those sites that, that does some sort of um, comparison. And they were using like Bobby Wagner contracts as, mm. as comparisons, Bobby Wagner and like CJ Mosley. And I'm sorry, but, but Blake is, you know, he's, if he's he can get that some... bully for him, I'll, I'll be happy for him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but he's, he's not getting it in green Bay. I guarantee you yeah. that much. Um, Russ Ball's not going to open up the, the coin purse, uh, that wide for, for a guy like Martinez yeah. who, who has some issues. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the linebacker position. Um, I know Peter Bukowski has written about that a little bit for, for us at APC. So, um, the, the other interesting thing that, that Goody was kind of talking about in the scrum after on or a little later on was he was asked about the height thresholds um, that, you know, Ted, Ted and Ron Wolf and those guys, um, you know, famously said that they'd never, or at least Ron said that he would never draft a cornerback shorter than five foot 11. Yeah. And um, 
when he was pressed on that a little bit with Jair Alexander, he he admitted that that Alexander was he said right at the Mendoza line. <laughs> um, so basically, you can you can pretty much think that about five foot ten and a quarter, uh, which was which I think was Jair's height. Um, Is that the new threshold. <laughs> I, that might we might just you know kick it down to like five ten flat. But um, yeah, it, the the other interesting thing though was when it comes to receivers, he said that um, there wouldn't be any any players taken off the board based on height alone, um, which is notable in particular because one of the more dynamic athletes at wide receiver in this draft is KJ Hamler from Penn State, and he measured in just under five nine, I think it was five eight and five eighths. Um, I think he's the shortest receiver here this week. So, um, a dynamic athlete, really, you know, exciting guy with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, deep threat, but um, he, he's a deep threat because he gets separation, not because he, you know, is able to make plays on the football and contested catches. So, just an interesting thing uh, regarding the the idea of those height thresholds that um, that I feel like Packers fans have been very caught up in over the last several years. Yeah. Goot was also asked specifically about sort of Lafleur's system and and whether or not their scouts and and ultimately uh, Gutekunst as a GM on draft day, you know, change their sort of core philosophy of how they go about scouting and evaluating and ultimately ranking players. Um, and Goot said that they're concerned with, again, falling on that Tedism, they're concerned with finding good football players and that they trust uh, Matt Lafleur to kind of adapt to and incorporate whatever the skill set is that that player brings to them. Do you buy that? Do you think that's a little bit of a smokescreen or 50-50? I'm giving you an out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's got to be a partnership there, right? There's a there's an idea of, you know, what do LaFleur and his his guys value in in players? Um, but if you find a a talent or a specific special trait in a guy, um, you've got to also trust your your coaches, if you're the GM, to be able to find a way to to take advantage of that skill. Um, and I think that's you know you, you again maybe using Hamler as an example is he you know he's not a big guy he's not going to be your conventional deep threat, yeah. but um, you know maybe you can work him out of the slot a little bit maybe you can you know find some some ways to to get him open on play action or something something along those lines. So. Um, I think there's a level of trust there that that they've built up pretty quickly between the these staffs, the the scouting staff and the coaching staff, um, that that it seems like Lafleur really trusts Gudikinst to to give him good players, and at the same time Gudikinst trusts um, Lafleur to be able to do something with the guys that he gets. So I think that partnership is 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 essential to to a well functioning organization. Um, you know we've we've seen it work wonders between Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren with between Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy over the years. Um, and, and hopefully that's, uh, that's going to continue this year and, and moving forward. One more thing I wanted to ask you about that I thought was interesting in, in the Goody presser was, and it was a little hard to hear um, some of the reporter questions, but uh, someone asked him something about how the team views players who have a marijuana record. And he you know, talked for a bit about how he felt like there were inequities in marijuana laws by state in terms of, you know, how they're evaluating these rookies and free agencies. And I believe he said something like it's that he thinks it's no different than alcohol, meaning that like if if there's abuse, you know, it's that's a problem they want to address. But but use in general is not a problem. Is 
is that possibly like a shift in thought for the Packers? That struck me as like a couple years ago, you know, I can't imagine, uh, you know, under with like Mike McCarthy leading the team. I can't imagine they're talking openly about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think there is a, a, a shift a little bit in the philosophy on an organizational level, but it's probably a shift in the NFL in general. Yeah, just culturally. Um, and that's that's yeah. And that's one of the other things I think in the CBA that's going to be going to be very different mm. is it sounds like the, the players are really pushing to have just drug tests for marijuana dropped either entirely or or to really um, change that policy yeah. around, you know, how those tests are done and. Um, and what the penalties are for them. What I'll be curious to find out is, 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 as this goes along, will there, you know, maybe they drop the drug tests, but would they still enforce um, some some suspensions or something if there are legal issues associated with with marijuana? Um, you know, kind of kind of like, all right, if you get a like again, like alcohol, it's a it's a good example. If you get a DUI, um, then then obviously that would trigger some sort of of response by the league, but. Um, just you know, ending up with a positive test, or or again, just maybe getting rid of testing uh, in general. So I think there's a league wide shift there. I think the fact that um, the Packers have have moved towards a a younger um, group in in both the front office and in the uh, in the coaching staff, I think that probably plays into it a little bit too. Um, so so yeah, I think it's it's indicative of a broader movement on that particular issue across the league. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff coming from those press conferences, but that was just day one tech. So um, we are going to check in with you again next week after uh, the combine concludes. You're going to be there boots on the ground uh, all week. Can you give us sort of a rundown of the uh, schedule of events as well as sort of your your anticipated um, coverage? Because I know you're doing some cool things on Twitter with Periscope and videos that we can follow along with as well as kind of some of the uh, events or position groups that are uh, going to be particularly interesting to you. Yeah. So coming up tomorrow on Wednesday, we've got uh, running backs and offensive linemen and specialists uh, doing their interviews with the media. So we'll get to talk to uh, to players of those groups. I'm going to try to focus on a, a couple of potential offensive tackle prospects um, because I think that could, could very well be a um, high priority position uh, maybe in the first, maybe not on, on day one, but certainly on day two, I would not be surprised if the Packers go that route. So keep an eye out for that. Um, then we get to defensive player interviews Thursday, Friday. And along with that, we start getting the the player workouts uh, Thursday evening. So um, quarterbacks and receivers and tight ends start Thursday. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm very curious to see how some of these guys run. Jalen Rager from TCU is is a guy that I'm, I'm really intrigued by. Um, he's a little on the shorter side. He's He's about a little under 5'11", but he's built like a, a brick house. I mean, he's two, almost 210, um, and he might run under, you know, 4'3'5". So he's a, he's a guy to keep an eye on on, on Thursday. Um, and then uh, certainly, the again, the offensive linemen. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a, a corner or two um, that – uh, that that run pretty fast and that impressed the Packers too. So um, you know certainly Jair is is locking down the one spot, but Kevin King's I think going to be a free agent after this year, um, and you know who knows what his future holds. So um, I think corner might be a little bit of a sneaky need for the Packers this year. So I'm going to be trying to 
take a close look at uh, at those guys. But yeah, for the next three days through media interviews, um, keep it locked at, at, at Acme Pack and Co. on Twitter. Um, we'll be doing a lot again on on Instagram. I've got uh, some of the shorter clips and things going there. Um, we'll do we'll do some streaming of a few of the bigger um, bigger name prospects. Um, press conferences uh, on Twitter and on Periscope as well. And um, maybe doing a couple of little uh, daily wrap-up Q&As uh, throughout the week uh, moving forward here. So we uh, kind of get some opportunity to, to ask some questions. And um, if you want to uh, pick my brain about anything I've seen from any of these players, um, keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, that is where you guys can do that. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about this because I was planning the episode out earlier today with Alex who ultimately couldn't make it. But when I asked him about uh, position groups that he was interested in in uh, in asking you about in terms of what you were interested in throughout the week, uh, he I don't know if he's just trying to stir the pot, but he said quarterback. So are there any <laughs> quarterbacks um, that really pique your interest as kind of a, uh, uh, that you think could be a practical fit with the team? You know, there's there's a few interesting players out there. Um, if we're talking, I, I don't necessarily think that a guy that Gudikins likes is going to fall to to thirty. Yeah. But I could see them taking one, maybe with a day two pick, maybe in, you know late round two, late round three, and a guy who kind of falls into that range that I think could be really interesting would be Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. the the former Alabama quarterback. Um, he's he's a great athlete. Um, one of the things that, that he kind of talked about in the past is, um, as he transitioned to Oklahoma was getting back to having fun with football again, because, um, the way the situation with him went down in Alabama with, with losing his job to, to Tua there was a little, a little crazy. So, um, I, I don't know that, that that's just kind of the, the little dark horse that I see if, if there's a day two pick. And then if we're talking day three, um, an interesting guy to me is Iowa's Nate Stanley. He's a big guy. He's from Menominee, Wisconsin. Um, so, so pretty local guy. And um, interestingly enough, he, as I recall, he didn't get recruited by Wisconsin um, and ended up at Iowa and was a, a starter there for a couple of years. It's pronounced Iowa. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> um but yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. A uh, big arm, um, again, a a big guy, got a little bit of mobility. So as a, as a day three guy, he might be one that I I, I could see uh, the Packers taking a little run at. Awesome. All right. Well, everyone should again keep it locked in to acmepackingcompany.com. Follow uh, the blog on Twitter at acmepackingco, and uh, Tex is going to be there all week. Again, boots on the ground, sore arm, microphone in the air getting all of the information and and uh, maybe doing a few uh, daily wrap-ups on Periscope as well, taking your questions, giving you answers. And uh, hey, Tex, you got uh, time for one listener question before we get out of here? Let's do it. All right. I wanted to um, address this question here that we got into the uh, APC podcast mailbag, and that is uh, theapcpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us there anytime. And Mario writes in, guys, we know Rodgers was mad about losing some of his favorite wide receivers the past several years and often seemed bewildered by what most of his wide receivers were doing. That's not untrue. Uh, Last season demonstrated a desperate need for a slot receiver that's a real threat at number two. In other words, someone like Randall Cobb. He had a great season in Dallas uh, where he is already a free agent after one year and he is only 29. Can we please bring Cobb back? Pretty please. And also, why hasn't this even come up yet? 
And that is, uh, again, from Mario. Thank you for writing in. Tex, I wanted to bring this up because, you know, we're talking about combine. We're talking about wide receiver needs. We're talking about who they might uh, bring in in the offseason. And uh, Randall Cobb springs to Mario's mind. What do you think? I, I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah. Um, I'll start with that. Um, first of all, it, it might make a little more sense if Mike McCarthy were still the coach. And if if he were coming back into a, a similar Packers offense that that he was familiar with already, but you bring Cobb in, he's going to have a learning curve just like any other veteran receiver. Yeah. Um, and and trying to get him back on the same page with Aaron Rodgers isn't just going to be a snap of the fingers because you've got that different offensive scheme. Um, if anything, who knows? He might be better off going back to Dallas again, where he's got a rapport with. Uh, with a guy like Dak Prescott, and he knows Mike McCarthy's offense, so maybe he can kind of help teach that offense. Um, you know what what McCarthy's scheme is all about. Um, I, I I struggle with that because I feel like there's there's so many good options this year in in the draft. Um, you know you you can get a guy in round three, round four, who I think can give you. Um, maybe not the same level of impact um, from a from a veteran um, leadership perspective, but certainly can give you a um, a better athletic profile and and some 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 better movement skills than Cobb probably has at this point in his career um, for you know for a, a rookie contract. And um, I just I just don't see that being a fit. Um, the other thing that, that I mentioned, too, is um, they seem to like big guys in the slot. Yeah. So um, LaFleur mentioned it. Goody mentioned it. Um, LaFleur especially. But talking about Adams in the slot, but also talking about how Alan Lazard had some really nice plays from the slot uh, down the stretch this season. Yeah. Um, I, I think they like bigger guys there, and that would kind of be consistent with what the Shanahan McVay offenses have done. Um, they didn't necessarily go for the, the little tiny guys, the, the, the guys who, who've got just, you know, that, that short frame that, that can wiggle a little bit. Um, they've tended to go for, for bigger kind of longer striders out of that spot. So, um, I don't necessarily see Cobb being as, as great a fit for what LaFleur wants to do, um, out of the slot as, um, as maybe it would seem. Yeah, it's interesting to think about sort of those two schools of thought with slot receivers. You either want the small guy who's like the he's like the tight window guy who can like yep. who can like wiggle free, uh, or you want the guy who's just going to run three yards, going to get the ball, and he's just going to plow a bunch of people for like six more yards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a guy like Chase Claypool, six four, he's two thirty eight. Um, he's built uh, even even thicker than Lazard was coming out. Um, he could be that kind of um, almost like a like a uh, flex tight end kind of guy with his big frame. Um, he might be an interesting guy, you know, late in round three, maybe round four. Um, so he he was he's an interesting idea there to me, uh, more so than you know taking a, a smaller guy um, again like a Hamler to to count on him as a slot player. Yeah. All right, Tex, really good stuff. Reporting from the combine, and uh, we're gonna hit the polka. I love having you on video. I can see you dance into the polka, <laughs> which I assume that's how you dance every time you hear the polka at the end of our show. Hey, if you guys out there like what you hear, uh, head over to uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. A quick five star review on iTunes goes a long way. You don't even have to write anything, although we do read those reviews so whoever in Kyler Fackrell's family really does not like us 
we still appreciate that you took the time to give us that review. Follow us on Twitter at the APC pod again follow the blog at acmepackingco.com all or i'm sorry at acmepackingco on twitter Uh, all week long uh, for texas live boots on the ground reporting at the nfl combine texas you relax in your luxuriously appointed uh la quinta hotel room la quinta please pay us money uh we need a sponsorship deal uh you got any parting words here uh for packer fans um, I'm going to go get a beer. Yes. Those are fine parting but, words. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to go get a beer and, and relax a little bit. Didn't you have so. a, uh, an anecdote a couple years ago being at the, uh, combine of trying to secretly order Mike McCarthy a beer and it not going well? What? There, there were a couple of people, but unfortunately McCarthy was, uh, was not among ah, okay. them. So we'll see, we'll see if I run into anybody tonight and, uh, maybe I'll. You know, sneak one in there somewhere for somebody. <laughs> All right. Well, Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you for taking some time out of a uh, very hectic day, getting in a power nap and joining us on the podcast. And for you guys out there, keep it locked in to acmepackingcompany.com. We are going to be back next week with text to wrap up all things combine uh, underwear Olympics. We're going to get those hand measurements for you. I know you're waiting with bated breath uh, for all that information. So I'm um, Zach Rapport at Zach Rapport on Twitter, and we will see you guys next time. Go Pack Go. And Sonny didn't bark once the whole show. Good boy. Yeah. <laughs>